Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's focus on our sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always wonderful to spend a few precious moments with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And today is not just any Wednesday afternoon. Today is Erev Tishabav, is the um, eve of Tishabav. The fast of Tishabav come begins this evening at um, 5:35 this afternoon is when the start begins. Fast begins, and all the restrictions of Tishabav would apply. And it continues until tomorrow evening, and the fast comes out tomorrow at 6.03 in the evening. So let's talk a little bit about this time, and we will also talk about the restrictions on Tisha B'Av. And as always, um, those restrictions, the halachas that we follow, are the framework in which we're supposed to do the spiritual work. We're supposed to develop and grow eternally as a result of observing these laws and these rituals. So let's start out with um, Shabbos. This last Shabbos was called Shabbos Chazon. Shabbos Chazon is always the Shabbos before Tisha B'Av. Um, as uh, Tisha B'Av means the ninth of Av. So today is the eighth of the month of Av. And then starting with sunset this evening um, comes in the ninth of Av. And that is the fast. Now, um, the Shabbos before Shabbos Chazon is always read on Shabbos Devarim. We read, we start Sefer Devarim and we Pashas Devarim on that Shabbos. And there's an important connection to the two because Sefer Devarim is not simply about Moshe Rabbeinu's time as leader of Klai Israel, giving an overview and summary and sprinkling in, in a few extra mitzvahs. Um, says Rav Shimshon Rafael Hirsch, Sefer Devarim is Moshe Rabbeinu's preparation of Klai Israel to enter into the land of Israel. And Moshe Rabbeinu is gravely concerned that when the Jewish people enter into the land, and live as a normal nation. Right now, they were in Egypt and they were enslaved. They were brought out with the ten plagues, the unbelievable miracles that Hashem brought down on Egypt, um, which enabled the Jewish people to break away and be free. And Moses leads them out on their journey of freedom, and they come to the sea, the sea splits, the miracles just continue in a supernatural and miraculous way. And then they are in the desert. For 49 days And by the way That's the beginning of Tisha B'Av Because when Moshe sends the spies in To reconnoit to the land And they come back with a negative report So the people listened to them The people believed them The people cried That was on the first Tisha B'Av in our history And Hashem said That if you cry on this day for no reason So this day will be a day in which there will be a good reason to cry. In other words, this would be the day of our Achilles heel, the weakness of the Jewish people. This is the one day where we are most vulnerable. And through history, we've seen that that was unfortunately the case. And many terrible calamities took place in Tisha B'Av. So Moshe Rabbein is concerned that Klai Yisrael, as they are about to embark on the conquest of the land um, more than 3,000 years ago, so they will become complacent and they will learn the ways of the non-Jewish nations, and they will 
um, turn to a carefree lifestyle without responsibility, which is filled with the pursuit of power and of pleasure, and they will turn their backs on the covenant with Hashem. They will break their side of the deal and will not live up to the commitment that Jewish people made at Mount Sinai, we will do and we will hear to serve Hashem loyally and wholeheartedly. And Moshe Rabbeinu was concerned that if Christ shall do that, so the result will be um, exile and the result will be uh, the Jewish people thrown out of the land because the relationship between the land of Israel and the Jewish people is a unique one. Firstly, we have the strongest claim to any land in the world um, is the claim of the Jewish people's claim to the land of Israel because the creator of the universe who made the world promised that land to our ancestors um, more than three and a half thousand years ago. And we have been there since then. We have been there since Abraham and Sarah entered into the land. There have always been Jews in the land. God promised them that that would be their inheritance. And that is our God-given right, the land of Israel. But when we turn away from God, when we don't fulfill our obligations and our agreement with God, so then the first thing that happens is God no longer allows us the privilege to be in the land of Israel. And God sends us away and exiles us from the land. So the greatest fear for the Jewish people, again, really the greatest danger for the Jewish people, is when we turn away from Hashem, when we deny God's existence, when we don't fulfill His mitzvahs. So then our enemies will have power over us. And we have many enemies in the region. Um, as we know, we are surrounded by um, countries and by nations that want to destroy the people of Israel, that want to remove the Jewish control of the land of Israel. And they're very open about it. They're not shy to say what they want. They, they're very clear on what their goals are. You can look it up online. The uh, Charter of Hamas says very clearly that the organization's primary goal is to remove the Jews from the land of Israel and to destroy all the Jews in the land of Israel. And uh, it's the same story with Hezbollah and the same story with Palestinian Authority and the same story with Iran. That's the neighborhood that we're in. And if we don't take those threats seriously, we are in, uh, being very naive and we are exposing ourselves to great danger. But our, of course we do our shtadlus, we put in the effort and we need a tzahal, a strong army. If we didn't have a strong, powerful army, we would be overrun immediately. There's no question about it. Um, but our main support and protection comes from our connection to Hashem, from our loyalty to God, from our fulfilling the bris, the covenant of Hashem and the Jewish people. And if we do so, so Hashem will protect us and Hashem will look after us and we will be successful in the defense of the land and in the conflict with the nations. And that's what Moshe Rabbein is warning them about back then. And that's the same warning applies today. That when we turn away and turn Israel into a secular state without any connection with God and with Torah and mitzvahs, so we become vulnerable. We then no longer enjoy Hashem's protection because that's the agreement with Hashem. And then our nations have power, our enemies have power over us and then we face the great danger of being overrun and of being exiled. So that was Moshe Rabbeinu's warning. And that was, that really is, that's why Devarim, we read Start reading Sefer Devarim on the Shabbos before Tisha B'Av because that was the warning 
of Yeshaya Navi in the Haftarah that we read on Shabbos, Haftarah's Chazon, and that's the warning of Yeremiah Hanavi, Jeremiah the prophet, that we read Eicha tonight in Shul. They all are reiterating the same message that when Klai Yisrael turns away from Hashem and gets completely taken up with a life of hedonism and a life of um, pursuit of pleasure and that we turn away from our covenant with God and from fulfilling the mitzvahs, so then the consequences are grave for the Jewish people. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we're discussing that the theme of the book of Devarim, of Deuteronomy, written by Moses. Of course, the entire Torah is written by Moses, but Deuteronomy is a summary and a overview of what happened as Moses was being leader, but more, uh, more pertinently, it is a preparation for the people to enter into the land. And Moshe is concerned that the people will forget their responsibilities and commitments to God, and they will become intoxicated with the um, pleasures of this world. Um, and follow in the ways of the nations of the world. And he warns the Jewish people again and again and again throughout Sefer Devarim, many, many, many times. And it's the same warning we see in the Navim, in the prophets, from Yeshaya Hanavi and from Yeremiah Hanavi that we'll read tonight in Eicha, that Yeremiah was warning the people at the times at the end of the first temple period that if they continue in this way, if they continue with their superficial observance and without putting their heart and soul into their relationship with God and into the performance of God's mitzvahs. So the temple won't protect them. The temple will be destroyed. That's the lamentation of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah cries over that. And we cry with him on Tishabal because we see that's exactly what happened. And that's exactly the story of the history of the Jewish people. Is So many times we've seen terrible dislocation and dispersion and exile. And it's the same story over and over again, is when we turn our backs on Hashem, we no longer enjoy divine protection, and then the nations of the world are free to do as they wish with us, and we know what they want to do with us. Um, that's no secret, and that's been repeated many, many times all over the world, unfortunately. And so the message is loud and clear, and that's the message of Tisha B'Av. That's what we're supposed to be thinking about in Tisha And we're supposed to be um, meditating over. We're crying over the, the destruction and over the, the state of the Jewish people and over the consequences as a result of our turning away from Hashem. And it's not all sad news. It's not all doom and gloom because this Shabbos is called Shabbos Nachamu, the Shabbos of comfort and consolation. And we read the seven after a shift in Nechemta all the way until Rosh Hashanah. And so this, um, the, there is a turnaround. There is a change. And that change comes actually from Tisha B'Av. In other words, there's a beautiful um, uh, tradition. The Gemara says that Mashiach is born in Tisha B'Av, which seems to be a little bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? Tisha B'Av is the day of our mourning, the day of our sadness, the day of our um, of our weakness. We focus on the calamities and the 
and the great tragedies that have taken place to the Jewish people over the centuries. Um, yet we say Mashiach is born on that day. Says the Maral, doesn't necessarily mean that Mashiach physically is actually born on that day. It means the concept of Mashiach comes out of Tishabav. It means that from understanding what brought Tishabav and understanding why there is a Tishabav, we then can turn it around and bring Mashiach. And so what is that understanding? The understanding is that our destiny is in our own hands. And when the Jewish people rise to the occasion and do the spiritual work that they're supposed to do, which means control our appetites for power and pleasure, put ourselves, control ourselves, let the neshama be in control, connect to God, bring godliness into this world. And the more godliness we bring into this world, the more light, the more peace, the more um, prosperity, the more security there is in the world. And the less godliness there is in the world, so the more illness, the more suffering, the more pain, the more depression, the more addiction, the more dislocation we find in the world. So let's look at our, you know, Tishbab's the day when we take a hard, cold look at ourselves, at our community, at the world, and we we uh, see, we, we without any pretenses, um, understand and and uh, acknowledge what is the current situation in our times. And it's not a pretty picture, is it? It's a very, very gloomy picture. It's a very sad world we live in today with so much confusion and so much nihilism, which means a world without meaning, without purpose, and with the denial of the existence of a higher power which is the most obvious thing in the world, the most basic deduction and most logical um, reasoning will bring us to the very clear fact that there's a creator, that there must be a supreme designer of this magnificent world we live in, this incredible um, planet in which there are thousands and thousands of variables that work simultaneously to make human life possible to make this planet inhabitable by human life. Not only that, when we look on the outside, but we look on the inside too, and we see the genius, the sophistication, the perfection, the intricacies, and the breathtaking um, precision of the human body. And to say all of that is an accident, is by chance, is random, it's ludicrous. It's just ridiculous. So it's basic logical deduction there must be a creator. And the role of Klal Yisrael is to connect to that creator. And Hashem made it easy for us. He gave us the Torah. Didn't just say, work it out yourselves. That was the times of Avram and Sarah. And Avram and Sarah, they, they broke their backs. They, they went through blood, sweat and tears to find the creator and to work out what we're supposed to be doing here and to understand the purpose of this experiment called life that we are all in. And, the, and they connected with God. God re- revealed himself to them because they searched for God, because their longing was so great, because their hunger was insatiable to find the purpose and meaning of life. Now, God appeared to them and promised them and their descendants that they would have a divine mission to bring godliness into this world. And therefore, it's the descendants of Avram Sarah that received the Torah at Mount Sinai, that stood at the mountain um, more than 3,300 years ago, and they heard the voice of God. God spoke to them. Their souls were blown out of their bodies. 
the souls were restored to their bodies. It happened again. And they then said to Moshe, you go up and get God's commandments and uh, we will follow whatever he tells us. We will do Nase Vanishma. So that's the destiny of the Jewish people is to, through those commandments that God gave us, we don't have to guess. We don't have to make it up ourselves. We don't have to suck it out of our thumbs. We can, we have this deep, rich, meaningful, brilliant tradition, which is just so magnificent and answers all of life's existential questions um, so succinctly and that ma- it makes so much sense and it it uh, resonates so deeply with the human being to follow the framework of the Torah. It brings out the best in a person and tells us, shows us what we're supposed to do, what our work is in terms of our growth, in terms of our sp- personalities, in terms of our relationships, in terms of our behavior gives us the framework in which to live a successful life. It's the handbook for successful living. So it's our choice. Do we choose to embrace that and accept that and follow that? Or do we choose to ignore that and to and to block that out and to dismiss that? Do we listen to the fake news and all the, the uh, propaganda about Torah and about religious people and about – or do we actually allow ourselves to open our minds and open our hearts and see what it actually says and try and experience it ourselves? I can guarantee you that if we do, if we open-minded and we allow ourselves to be exposed to these ideas and these experiences, it will be completely life-changing and it will bring a beauty and a fulfillment and a meaning and a sense of accomplishment which is, which is invaluable, which is, which brings the person a great sense of tranquility. Um, and gives us the ability to live successful lives. So, so that's the question on Tishabav. That's the challenge on Tishabav. That's the reality that we face on Tishabav. And it's really in our hands. If we choose to do that, if we choose the higher road of living a spiritual life and following the Torah, so then as a nation, I'm not saying as individuals, it doesn't mean that our lives will be perfect as individuals and we won't have any difficulties and any suffering and any challenges and hardships. That's not the case. But for Klal Yisrael, for the Jewish people, um, there's a promise to the nation of Israel that when we as a nation are living up to our spiritual responsibilities, so then we will enjoy peace and we'll enjoy prosperity and we will enjoy success. And if we are not as a nation doing that, so then we will experience the opposite, unfortunately, which has all too often been the case in the history of the Jewish people. And that's what Hashem tells us. He says, there's a beautiful Malbim actually. Malbim says a wonderful thing. He says a brilliant thing. Malbim says that uh, there's a Pasuk that we're going to read in two weeks time, Pasha's Ray. The Pasuk says, Ki im el hamakum asher yivchar Hashem elokeichem, mikol shifteichem lasum et shmo sham. So he says, the place that Hashem chooses um, to put his name over there, lashachno tidrushu. It's the place for God's presence that we should seek. And Hashem will come over there. In other words, the Malbim says, the Pasuk tells us, well first actually, says, when we seek the Shrina, so then Hashem will come. If we seek out for Hashem, like we saw with Avram and Sarah, Hashem will, will, will come. We'll see Hashem. We'll be able to have an experience and a closeness to Hashem. Um, but the Malbim also says an amazing thing. The Malbim says that the Tanai, the condition for the building of the Beis HaMikdash, was that there would be um, that David Hamilech would have to seek the place 
We have to find the place. Hashem didn't show him where it was. Hashem didn't show Shmuel Hanavi where it was, where the place, or Natan Hanavi where the place of the place of Megiddo would be. Hashem demanded of, required that David find it himself. That he seek it, that he long for it, that he search out for it, and that he find the place. And he found the place, right? Which was the Makom, the place where, which is Hara Maria, the place where, um, the, uh, Akeda was, where, where, um, Abraham brought Yitzhak as, uh, on the Akeda. So that is the, um, says the, the, um, the Malbim, that that's, that was the original condition for the building of the base of Mikdash. And that's the condition for the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. Same thing to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. The condition to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash is that we should seek it, that we should long for it, that we should feel the loss of not having a Beis HaMikdash, feel the loss of the darkness when Hashem's presence is not in the world, and actively seek that um, the change in that, the the uh, the bringing of Hashem into the world. And that's what the Ramban says in the beginning of, of Sefer Shemos. The Ramban says that the purpose of the world is not for our pleasure and the purpose of the world is not for our honor. The purpose of the world is to bring the honor of Hashem into the world. That's why Hashem created the world. And therefore, the Beis HaMikdash is the pinnacle of the world, the place for Hashem's presence to rest, the place for Hashem to feel comfortable to be to be able to be there. And that is the function of creation, is when we play our part in bringing the Shekhinah into the world, then we fulfill our purpose. And that is the role of a Jew, is to seek out God and to bring God's light into the world. And that's why one of the, the Gemara and Shabbat says, one of the first questions a person is going to be asked when we leave this world is, Tzipisa Yeshua. did you long for the redemption? Because if that was an issue for us, if the Galus, the exile, was a problem for us, we felt the pain of that. And we longed for the redemption of Hashem. So that shows that we had the right mindset. We had the right outlook. We had the right understanding of life and the world and our, our purpose in this world. Um, and that's our work on Tisha B'Av. That's our focus on Tisha B'Av. Is that we look at this world. We look at the Jewish people, Hashem's chosen people. We see with an over 70% intermarriage rate in the Western world. And we see so many Jews that are disconnected, that don't know what Torah is, that have never experienced the light and beauty and holiness of the Torah. They're completely uneducated when it comes to the Torah. And so many Jews estranged from our holy ways. So that's a great pain. That's a great source of anguish. And that's something that should bother us, that should hurt us. We think about Hashem, that Hashem looks down on his children and and so many of them do not have a relationship with him. So many of them deny his existence. So many of them turn away from Hashem. So that, of course, is a great source of of pain and anguish. And that's what we think about in Tisha B'Av. And we then commit ourselves to play our part in order to serve Hashem and in order to bring the light of Hashem into the world. And that's actually what the Rambam says. The Rambam says that a person who doesn't long for Mashiach that person is in Apikoris. That's what the Rambam says. When a person doesn't long for, for Mashiach, such an individual is in Apikoris. So the question is, why is that so? Apikoris means a person who's, who's like a non-believer. So why is that so? You know, a person maybe could believe in Mashiach, believe in the redemption, believe in Hashem's power coming back to the world and being revealed to the world, but he doesn't long for it. Right? If the Rambam says he doesn't long for it, so then he's the Apikoris. 
So the answer is clear because it shows that the person's mindset in this world is not covered shemaim. Person's mindset in the world is not for the glory of Hashem to bring Hashem's light into the world. Person's mindset rather is about them and about themselves and about their life and about what their needs are and about their their desires. So that's that's an apicorus, is the rabbi. The the believing Jew is the one that longs for, is driven by, is focused on kavod shemaim, the glory and the honor of Hashem. So this is the these are the thoughts. This is the mindset. These are the um, this is the inner work we're supposed to be doing on Tisha B'av, um, and these are the things we should be thinking about. So we're going to take a short ad break. When we come back, we'll discuss the actual halachas of Tisha B'av, the framework within which we observe in order to do this inner spiritual work. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. And uh, we're talking about Tisha B'Av. But before we speak further about Tisha B'Av, uh, I wanted to read an ad to you, but for some reason it's not opening um, so we'll do that in a moment. Okay, so we discussed that we said we would uh, talk about the halachas of Tisha B'av, the laws of Tisha B'av. So um, the first, the, there are a number of restrictions that mirror the restrictions of um, Yom Kippur. Um, so that that includes there's no eating and drinking, there's no bathing for pleasure, we don't apply oils, we don't wear shoes, and no marital relations. And then... And the additions to that, there are further prohibitions on Tisha B'Av, and those are um, those things that resemble mourners. For example, we don't um, we uh, don't learn Torah, and we don't greet people, we don't work, and we don't sit in a chair. So let's go through each one of those in order to understand. But let's first discuss um, the uh, five tragedies that took place on Tisha B'Av. Um, the first one, of course, was what we already mentioned, and that is the um, that is the uh, spies gave the negative report on this day, and God said, if you cry on this day for no reason to do, there will be plenty of reason to cry in the future, which unfortunately was the case. The the second thing that happened to Shabbat is the first temple was actually destroyed on this day, in the year 586 before the Common Era, on the 9th of Av, and it's no coincidence that the second temple too was destroyed on exactly so 365 days in the year, and it's the same day. Like how could it be? Well, 354 days in the lunar calendar and the Jewish calendar. Same day, both temples are destroyed. Second temple is destroyed in the year 70 of the Common Era. That's the third thing that happened to Shabbat. The fourth thing is that the great city of Beitar was captured by the Romans, and tens of thousands of Jews were murdered. And finally, the wicked Turnus Rufus plowed the site of the temple and the surrounding area on Tisha B'Av. So all of those five calamities took place on the same day, and therefore that is the day of our weakness, that is the day of our destruction. And in modern Jewish history, it's the same thing. Um, we see that the expulsion from Spain took place in the year 1492, um, and uh, which was one of the great tragedies of the Middle Ages, of the, the Jewish people were... After having 300 years of the golden era in Spain, or um, exiled, or they they forced either to convert to Christianity or have to leave, 
which was a terrible calamity in Jewish history. Many, many were burnt at the stake because they were uh, found out to be observant Jews, conversos, that they were observing Judaism secretly, um, but pretended to be Christians. Um, also, so that happened on Tisha B'Av 1492, and World War One broke out on Tisha B'Av 1914, which of course was the precursor to World War Two. So we see that on this day, um, many calamities have happened, which resulted in great suffering of Klai Yisrael, the Jewish people. And, uh, and as a result, we observe these halachas. So what are the halachas? Again, um, we, we, just like on Yom Kippur, no eating and drinking, um, which is obvious. One cannot eat and one cannot drink from when the fast comes in. This afternoon at 5.35 until tomorrow evening at 6.03. And no bathing for pleasure, which means we can't wash ourselves for pleasure. So one can't, cannot have a bath or a shower. Um, and even when one goes to the bathroom, we just wash until the knuckles, the hands. Um, and when we get up in the morning, the halach is we're supposed to wash three times on each hand when we get up in the morning, as we know. On Tisha B'Av, we just do it to the knuckles. We don't do further up in the hand. Um, so, But if, if we have dirt on us, if somehow we got dirty, we can wash off that dirt. We can't bathe for pleasure, but we can remove dirt from ourselves. So that's bathing. Applying oils includes the prohibition of not wearing makeup, any cosmetics, any perfume, anything that we do for pleasure. Um, we can, however, do so. We can apply these things for hygiene so or for medical purposes. So you, one can put on deodorant because that's for hygiene. It's not for pleasure. Um, but no makeup or no perfumes. Um, the fourth one is we don't wear leather shoes. So on t- Tisha B'Av, just like on Yom Kippur, we prohibit it from wearing any leather shoes. And so make sure in today's modern world there are many alternatives. So make sure your shoes don't have any leather in them, inside or outside. Um, and uh, that's very important to wear your canvas shoes or you know or, or your Crocs or whatever it may be. They're not leather. And finally, the fifth prohibition, same as, as Yom Kippur, is that you cannot engage in marital relations um, on Tisha B'av either. So although you can do malacha on Tisha B'av, on Yom Kippur you can't do malacha, it's like Shabbos, you can't do any creative activity, as well as all these rest- restrictions. Tisha B'av you can do malacha creative activity, we can drive, we can you know, use our phones and turn on the, the TV, um, turn on the lights, etc. But uh, we can't, um, but these five things do apply as well. And so, and in addition to that on Tisha B'av, we have the five, um, the four prohibitions for mourners. So not only do we afflict ourselves like on Yom Kippur with the fasting and these other four that I've mentioned, but also we take on as if we're sitting shiva. So what are the halachas of a person who's sitting shiva? Because we're all sitting shiva on Tisha B'Av. We're all mourning over this great loss, which is very close to us and very dear to us. So we don't learn Torah on Tisha B'Av. Why? Because the Pasuk, you know, let's, let's uh, do that last. Let's just mention the others first. We don't greet people. We're not supposed to greet anybody on Tisha B'Av because the mourner's not supposed to greet. The mourner's not in a mindset where they're frivolous and they're jovial. They, they're broken. They're heartbroken for the great loss in their life. So on Tisha B'Av, we're heartbroken and it's not appropriate for us to greet. It's quite a difficult thing because Bainas money, usually the end of the term of the yeshiva term is Tisha B'Av and often, um, we'll see many people are here from Eretz Israel at this time. Many of the people that are learning in Eretz Israel, the Bochrim, so the first time they see people is Tisha B'Av, but they can't greet them. It, it was always a big challenge for me when I was learning in Yeshiva. But so instead of greeting somebody, you can say, how are you feeling? I hope the fast is going okay. But you can't say shalom. 
you can't say ha, you can't say how's it, as South Africans struggle with not being able to say how's it, but that is the halach and tishabab, okay? Um, we're not allowed to, we shouldn't be working on tishabab. Um, if it's something simple and brief that won't take much um, focus and won't distract us from the mindset of what we're supposed to be thinking about, then it's okay. But if it's something that's engaging and that's going to demand our focus and distract us from the mindset that we should have on Tisha B'Av in the morning that we're supposed to be going through on Tisha B'Av, so then we shouldn't do it. Certainly until midday, we shouldn't be involved in business unless it's a brief, easy, quick thing. Um, and then even in the afternoon, we try and minimize our involvement, but we'll do what we have to do, um, still trying to maintain our focus on the fast and on the morning that we're supposed to be thinking about on this day. And uh, also part of the morning customs is a mourner doesn't sit on a regular chair. A mourner sits on a low chair, which is uncomfortable and which displays that they're in mourning. Um, and so we shouldn't sit on a regular chair. Um, we, most of us sit on the floor through Tisha B'Av, sits on a regular chair up until um, midday tomorrow. Up until um, 12 o'clock tomorrow, we should be sitting on the floor or on a lower chair. You can sit on a chair that's below 30 centimeters. That is acceptable. Um but uh, not anything higher than 30 centimeters, unless, of course, somebody is uh, is elderly or somebody is ill, and, they, and it will be very, very difficult for them to do so. So then they would be able to. But if a person doesn't have those issues, so then one shouldn't sit on a regular chair. Um, okay, so we, the, the one last uh, restriction on Tishabav is, of course, the learning of Torah. So why can't we learn normal Torah on Tishabav? And the reason is because... Um, the Pasuk says, that the statutes of Hashem are straight and they bring joy to the heart. So learning Torah actually brings us joy. And we're not supposed to have joy at Tisha B'Av. It's the only day when we, you know, Judaism is a religion that's filled with joy and simcha. That gives us a laugh of light and joy and meaning and simcha. That's the basic definition and starting point, entry level of, of an observant Jew. So this is the one day that we focus on the Galus on the exile, on the destruction of the temples, on the mourning of the Shekhinah not being close to us. So therefore we can't learn regular Torah, but we can learn Torah that is relating to the Tisha B'Av and the mourning and the loss of the day. So for example, we can learn um, in the Gomorrah or in the Midrashim, like um, in the Gomorrah of Gitin Peivav, talks about the causes for the destruction of the temple and the Omidrashim that do as well. Those things we can talk, we can learn. We can learn the book of Eicha, which is what we read tonight. We can learn the book of Eov and the Mephoshim on Eov because it talks about this issue of suffering. Um, we can learn certain parts of the safe of Yeremiah, of Jeremiah, which also deal with the warning of the prophets to the people that they should change their ways. And we can talk about stories of persecution and calamities that befell the Jewish people throughout the ages. That we can do as well. For example, um, we can talk about the Holocaust, stories of the Holocaust. We remember the suffering that the Jewish people have been through, through the ages, through through our history. Um, so those kind of things we can read and we can um, learn. We can learn the laws of Tishbab, we can learn the laws of mourning, we can learn the Perigimbal of Moed Katan, which deals with our values, which deals with mourning. So those things we all to learn, but other things bring us joy, and therefore we're not allowed to learn. And therefore you see the shuls have programs. Um, uh, most shuls put a lot of effort into their Tisha B'Av programs in order to enable people to experience Tisha B'Av in the right way. So, example, my shul, the Sunny Road Kahila. So we after we're reading my we my is at uh, is at five to six, five fifty five. Then we're reading Eicha. 
then we're actually screening for the first time in South Africa Rabbi Beryl Wine's new movie on the Barbanel, which covers the story of the Spanish Inquisition and the suffering of the Jews in 1492, which is really encapsulates the message of Tisha B'Av. Tomorrow morning we dive in Shachri 7.30, then we read some kinnas, and then we have an international guest speaker, um, Rabbi Zachariah um, uh, Greenwald, who's going to be with us, a wonderful speaker and educator, and then we're going to be screening the Chosam Heritage Foundation videos, which are great speakers from America, which talk about Tisha B'Av. So um, when one should try, make an effort to think about what we're supposed to and have a meaningful Tisha B'Av, which brings genuine change to us. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So just to close off, we've been talking about Tishbav and the power and importance of this day, the day we think about God and God's presence in the world and the fact that there's no Beis HaMikdash, there's no temple. The temple was a place in which God's Shekhinah could rest, which represented, symbolized God's being close to the Jewish people, God's presence being a part of us and God's light shining in the world. And when we are no longer on that level to deserve that, so then God removes his closeness, his presence from us. And that is the source of all of the suffering and hardship and pain, both on an individual level and on a communal level. And we look around and we look at ourselves and we look at the community and we look at the world and we long for the returning of the Shekhinah and we address what we could do to bring that closer, how we could make changes in our lives and in our um, personalities and in our behavior in order to bring the redemption, in order to bring Hashem close, in order to bring Mashiach, in order to bring the end of the darkness and pain and suffering that is throughout the world and to bring the light of healing and of meaning and of blessing and of peace and of prosperity to all of humanity. So we long deeply for that and this is the day where we think about that and we commit ourselves to play our part in that revolution, in that change, in that spiritual shift in the world. And please, God, we should all see our role because nobody is free from the obligation and all of us are needed. Every single Jew is part of the Jewish team of what we call Knesset Israel, the body of the Jewish people. We can't do without anybody. Each and every one has to play their part. And may we all do so. May we zeicha to see the coming of Mashiach and the building of Bayeshlishi Bimhera Biameno Amen.